And we're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning, uh, chapter number one, starting in verse 12. Uh, and I want, us, I want us to take an honest look at, at where we're at in our lives and, and how the gospel advances in our lives. Uh, because as believers, the advancement of the gospel has got to be the highest priority for us at all times. Um, and, then, and then from there, I want to show you through the Apostle Paul how um, our circumstances don't dictate whether the gospel advances or not. Um, and how we can share uh, the gospel uh, despite our circumstances. And then finally, um, real uh, briefly, um, how that impacts others. How, how, how we share the gospel in those times emboldens us to impact others. I mean, it, we impact others, we embolden them to share the gospel with others. Um, so let's turn there. And let me, let me just, I got to say this. Um, I work with junior high students, and by nature, that makes me ADD, okay? <laughs> and uh, so sometimes my words get jumbled up, and the, it's in there in the brain, but the, wor- the mouth just doesn't work because there's too many things going on there. So just bear with me. Uh, if, I, if I get stuck, it'll come out eventually. Well, if you see that, it's usually pretty, something pretty important, so you might want to write it down. Um, let's turn to Philippians uh, chapter 1. But before we get there, I got a question for you guys. Is, is there any Trekkies in here this morning? Oh, that's concerning. <laughs> Star Trek, right? Um, I don't like Star Trek. I'm more of a Star Wars guy. Chewbacca and Yoda are cool, you know what I mean? And I can't say that, I can't even say that the people who like Star Trek are even really that cool. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've <laughs> sorry, it's, it's personal opinion. I've only watched like maybe a handful of episodes, right? And it, it's, it's kind of redundant, it's kind of repetitive. They're going to a new planet. Captain Kirk gets beamed down. They get caught by some alien race, get put in prison. Loses communication with the Starship Enterprise. Karate chops his way out. Reestablishes communication with the Starship Enterprise. And the, you know, what, what, what's crazy is the crew always seemed like so overly concerned with Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk, you okay? Captain Kirk, how are you doing? Is everything all right? What can we do for you? We can beam you down some nachos or something, right? A bottle of water, right? And Captain Kirk's like, never mind me. How's my ship? And he would often say that over and over. It's like, really, we're doing this again? Never mind me. How's my ship? If I was a crew, I'd have been like, man, I ain't, I ain't, no, I ain't beaming him nothing. He does this all the time, every episode. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. What I want to know is how's my ship? It's the attitude of Captain Kirk. Whatever I went through is okay, but I want to know how my ship's doing. You know, that's the, that's the exact attitude of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 12, Philippians 1, 12. All right, it's the same thing. He's saying to the church, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I appreciate you coming to see me. I appreciate your concern for me. But what I want to know is how the gospel's doing. I want you to know something. Because what has happened to me, never mind me, what has happened to me has turned out for the advancement of the gospel. More people have been saved because of what I've gone through. Captain Kirk can't say that. So let's read Philippians 1, starting in verse, uh, starting in verse 12, and we're going to go through 18. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else 
that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged. Uh, they've been encouraged to speak the word uh, of God more, more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of uh, envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. All right. It's on now. So the background of Philippians is obvious. Paul's writing a letter to the church of Philippi, right? While he's in jail. It's the first of four New Testament liter- letters we call the Roman epistle, I mean the uh, prison epistles, sorry. Uh, and this is happening during his first Roman imprisonment. And if you go to chapter four of this particular book, you'll see that the church has sent Paul a love offering. So one of the men of the church has delivered uh, a care package, uh, some resources to Paul uh, while he's in prison in Rome, uh, all the way from Philippi out of concern for the Apostle Paul. Now, in this love offering, I mean, we don't, we don't know what was in the love offering. We know that it was probably some financial resources. Um, but I believe personally included some sentiments from some of Paul's closest companions because they couldn't send text messages back in the days. You know what I mean? Not that it matters. If, well, not that it ma- You can't send text messages to people who are in prison just so y'all know that. There are limits to what you guys can do with technology, youngsters. So I believe that, the, that in, in this love offering, in this care package, were some uh, personal sentiments of some of Paul's closest companions, like uh, um, maybe Lydia, right? Maybe she sent something. Maybe she sent, she sent a note to Paul saying, Paul, I thank you for stopping by the river that day and sharing the gospel with me. This must be a tough time for you, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. After all, Paul started this church in Acts chapter 16. You want to read about the church of Philippi? Go to Acts chapter 16. Apostle Paul was their friend. They got concerned for him. Maybe it wasn't just Lydia. Maybe maybe the, 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 the teenage girl with the spirit of divination sent a letter to Paul saying, Paul, I'm so thankful for the day you shared Christ with me and cast that demonic spirit out of me. I'm a different person because you shared the gospel with me. And I want you to know that I'm different and I'm no longer the same because you cared. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you, so just hang in there, buddy, and keep preaching. So while this care package has been delivered and Paul has his resources, and before his deliverer can uh, return back to to Philippi, Paul writes a letter back. And in the first nine verses, we see an introduction to that letter. It's an introduction, but also a thank you. It's a thank you response. And he starts off with your typical epistle greeting. It's important uh, to note the the hint of humility in verse one by calling uh, him and Timothy slaves to Christ. Also in verse one, he, he, uh, he addresses the recipients of the letter, the elders and deacons of the church. Then in verse 3, Paul states his sentiments to the church at Philippi. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. Thank you for the love offering. Every time I remember you, I'm just like, I thank God for you and I pray for you. 
I thank you. I thank you for the participation in the gospel with me. And he goes on to say that I love you with the affections of Christ in verse 8. Then in verse 9, he begins to pray for them. And he says, listen, I'm praying for you. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to mature. I want you to love more. I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to be prepared for when the Lord comes back. And this is how he prays for them. Let me, let me ask you this question. When you pray for the saints of the church, how do you pray for them? You pray for their comfort, their well-being. Then he gets into verse 12. And this is where things get really cool. By cool, I mean hard to swallow. Cool for me because I get to preach it. But in verse 12, Paul shifts the thinking. He's saying, I thank you for the letter. I thank you for the words of encouragement. I love you with the affections of Christ. I'm praying that you'll grow and that you'll know and you'll be prepared for when Jesus comes back. But I want you to know something. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. While I appreciate the gift and everything, uh, don't be crying over me. Don't pray for me. I'm doing great. In fact, I'm doing so great while I've been locked up that people have been saved because of it. What an attitude. I don't know how many people in prison right now would be like, man, I'm in prison. This is great. I'm in chains. This is awesome. What an attitude. What an attitude. What an attitude to have in the midst of such trials. What if we all had that same attitude in here this morning? What if we no longer saw our trials as tests from God and started looking at them as gospel opportunities? What if our attitude was something like, we don't really care what happens to us as long as more people get the gospel? Young people, what if your attitude was something like, I don't need a cushy career or an athletic scholarship. I just want to go where people need the Lord. What if you said, I, I don't really care what my friends think. I'm going to tell them about how we all need God's forgiveness and how God provided that forgiveness in Jesus Christ and how all we have to do is repent from our sin and accept God's uh, provision for us. What if we said we don't really care what our coworkers thought of us? We're going to share Christ. I mean, wouldn't it be great if one day that this was no longer a place where we would shelter our kids from the world, but rather use it as a training center in which our kids were empowered to go out into the world and share the gospel? Or what if this place was no longer a place where we just came to soak up truth and theology and talk about it and brag about it, about how much theology we know, and instead left those doors and went out of there and like a, like a soaked up sponge was squeezed out into the world that desperately needs it? What if this place, I mean, wouldn't it be great if all the middle and high school boys and girls grew up and went to the great cities of America and planted desperately needing churches so that America would no longer become a land desolate and barren, incapable of producing fruit? Wouldn't it be great if the people of Valley Bible Church, both young and old, did as the apostles did and hazarded their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because that's what Paul did. He said, it doesn't matter if, I was in, if I'm in jail. It doesn't matter if I'm getting good love offerings. It doesn't matter if I'm shipwrecked or left for dead or stoned. And by stoned, I mean with rocks. Okay? 
Never mind me. What about the gospel? Is the gospel going forward this morning? And I want to ask you this question as we consider Paul's line of thinking. Does the gospel advance because of us, because of you? I mean, when you look at your daily life and the moments God has given you, each moment, every second, every minute of every day, does the gospel advance? If not, then what's causing it to stop? Because you see, the gospel is pretty important to God. I don't know if y'all knew that. It's pretty, young people, gospel's important. I want, you, I want you to understand that. Matter of fact, the, the whole theme of Scripture is the gospel. The whole theme of Scripture is about a falling race that chose sin instead of a good and holy God. And that good and holy God is also just. And sin demanded, demanded punishment. And punishment came upon the sinless Savior of the world. He drank the whole cup of God's wrath. That's the theme of Scripture. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ is its revealer. He is the treasure of the Scriptures. It's got to be a priority for us. You see, where we've messed up is by thinking that the gospel is just a diving board in which we dive into Christianity, in which we dive into a right relationship with God. But it's more than just a diving board. You never grow past the gospel. It's the whole pool. We only grow deeper into its truth. So what we messed up, though, is we, we look past it. And what Paul's saying, and I believe part of the knowledge he desired, he prayed for them in the, uh, the Philippian church to have in verse 9, is it a change in perspective? I want you to see things differently for two reasons. One, I want you to see that what has happened to me has really furthered the gospel. And two, the favor of God has not left me. You see, because those preaching out of envy and rivalry were saying, man, Paul's really messing up. He done got it. Look at what he did. He got himself arrested. God's favor must not be upon him. He's, he's making things worse for us. We're being persecuted now because of Paul. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Paul says, I don't care as long as Christ is being preached. You see, the gospel uh, for the Christian, for us, for if, you, if you're here, and I don't want but Christian is such an ambiguous term. I want to I narrow it down. I'm talking about those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, those who have been born again. Not just because you simply occupy a pew. pew. You feel me? For those of us who have been born again, the gospel has got to be our highest priority. But the only way we get there is if Christ is our treasure. See, because when something happens when we're born again, we're changed. We no longer look at ourselves and our own ambitions and our own accomplishments. Paul says in verse 3, I've forsaken everything in my past, everything that I've achieved. And I want you to notice something. Those weren't bad things. Those were good things that he had achieved. And he said, they're all, it, it's garbage, it's dung. He said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. So that somehow I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. The reason Paul was able to share the gospel in the midst of his circumstances because Christ was his treasure. 
And his mission became, the mission of Christ became the mission of Paul. And if we're Christians here, no matter what your occupation is, the mission of Christ is our mission as well. Young person, God is not about your comfort. The whole book of Philippians, I want you to look at it. It's about the fellowship and the sacrifice of suffering. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Philippians 4, be anxious about nothing. Why do you think they were anxious? Because they were being persecuted. Then he says in, in verse 8, don't even, hey, don't even think about your sufferings. Think on the good things. Think on the glory of God. Think, of, think about the jewels in the crown. Think about the souls that you'll see in heaven. The gospel has got to be our highest priority. If it's not, then it won't advance. And we shouldn't expect it to either. Before we can come to that place, before we can come to the place where the gospel advances, no matter our circumstances, we have to see that it must be a priority in our lives. It has to be up there. More valued than being liked at the workplace or at school. It has to become more valued than popularity or status or how many likes you get on Instagram. It's got to be valued more than that. More than what kind of car we drive or what kind of house we live in or what neighborhood we live in for that matter. And as a parent, let me say this, parents, the gospel must be our highest priority. It starts in our homes. It starts in our homes. And with that, let me say this. I've wanted to clear the air for a long time. LGP and R3 are not playgrounds. They're, they're, they're not playgrounds, and um, they're not just, we're not babysitters, Pastor Paul and I. I don't know if you know this, but we preach the gospel. And shame on us as parents when we keep our kids from the gospel because of their behavior. Because the number one issue, I ask, hey, kid, man, I miss you. Where were you on Thursday? Oh, I couldn't come because my grades are bad. Or because I hit my little sister. What, you couldn't come? To, you, and you couldn't come? To, you were kept from church? Because that makes total sense. <laughs> I know, I got in trouble. That's all right. Uh, it's obvious they need the gospel in our student ministries. This church is in the gospel business. We're not here to plan their social lives, but rather to give them the gospel, empower them to grow in it, and support them in sharing it. That's what our student ministries do. Don't keep them from it. Don't keep them from it. Now, the, now that statement only goes through a small percentage of the church. I get that. But what about sports and education? Do those come before the gospel? It's a good question. Let me say this. If we place more value on education and sports more than Jesus Christ and his mission, how can we expect our children to do the same? We, as parents, reproduce what we are. An acorn falls from the oak tree, and guess what it grows to be? An oak tree, not an apple tree. We reproduce what we are. So if we value that, and if we constantly say, you know what? You can't go to LGP tonight. You can't go to R3. You can't even go to church on Sunday. You know why? Because you got homework to do or a project. You know what we're doing? We're telling them that things, that anything, come more 
Come before Jesus Christ. Come before the gospel. Come before them growing in their word. That's what we do. And then we wonder, well, Pastor Gabe, what? Why didn't they accept Christ, my children? You know, man, come on. Get them to church. Better yet, open the gospel and share it with them yourself. I want to read you something from John Wesley, and we're going to move on. And this, this right here, I, like when I read this, like I fell to my knees and I said, God, forgive me. John Wesley, he was a boss, by the way, back in the day, and a great evangelist. This is what he wrote. He said, for what end do we send our children to school? Why? So that they may fit to be, uh, be fit to live in a world? And in which world do you mean, this one or the next? Perhaps you only thought of this world only and, and forgot that there's one still to come. Yeah, and, and that, that one will last forever. He says, pray, take this into account, and send them to such masters as will keep it always before their eyes. Surely, if you live or fear God yourself, this will be your first consideration. In what business will your son most likely to love and serve God? In what employment will, will he have the greatest advantage for laying up treasure in heaven? I have been shocked above, above measure in observing how little this is attended to, even by pious parents. Even these consider only how he may get most money and not how he may get most holiness. Upon this motive, they fix him in business, which will necessarily expose him to such temptations and will leave him not a probability, if a possibility, of serving God. O oh, savage parents, unnatural, diabolical cruelty if you believe there is another world. John Wesley wrote that. Um, things changed in my home. The gospel's more important. It's more important in work, church, and football. Because you can come to church and be religious and still not have no gospel. The rapper Lecrae, he said this, the gospel's more important than work, church, and football. How would you like it if you were dead in sin and Christians overlooked y'all? There's truth in Christian rap music, I'm telling you. Let me get some Lecrae. Does the gospel advance with you in our homes? And Paul wanted the Philippian church to understand that the gospel was of the highest priority, but he also wanted them to know that because of this, because it was the highest priority in his life, nothing was going to keep him from sharing it. There was not a circumstance in the world that was going to keep Paul from sharing the gospel. Nothing. Let's look at verses 12 through 14 real quick. I'm going to read it again. Now, I want you to know, notice the, sh the shift in thinking. I want you to know, I want you to understand something, brothers, that what has happened to me is not because God's favor is not on me, right? It has happened to me. And what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And as a result, because I'm in, because I'm in jail, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. Not just there, though and to everyone else, <laughs> that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul faced dark circumstances while he was a prisoner in Rome. Dark circumstances stared Paul right in the face. No circumstances could be any more severe, no matter what they were. 
Paul was, Paul was sitting, um, waiting to appear before the Supreme Court of Rome. He was facing trial before Nero, uh, the Roman emperor, and he was innocent. He had nothing to do with his arrest, uh, nothing that should cause his arrest and imprisonment. All he did was preach the gospel, yet there he was, and, and we, he had to wait, await the arrival of his Jewish uh, uh, prosecutors with the trumped-up and malicious charges. You know what I mean? And he was sitting there waiting for two years while they were making up stuff against him. Yeah, he, it's true that he had some privileges. He was allowed visitors. Uh, he, rent, he rented his own house. And uh, these privileges were minor, though, uh, when you consider the strains of his sufferings. Because he was in prison for over two years, and as is the case with all prisoners, days don't go by fast. They wore on ever so slowly, hour by hour, day after day. Whatever pressures hang over a man's head who's awaiting a trial that is to determine whether he lives or dies, that hung over Paul's head. But note something. Note something about Paul. He didn't complain. He didn't grumble or complain. He did not question God and wonder why. He did not whine or murmur. He did not fall to pieces. He did not curse God or give up his faith. Paul used his dark circumstances to spread the gospel. He did not see himself as a prisoner of Rome or of Nero. He saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He did not see himself as a victim. He saw himself as a conqueror for Jesus Christ. He didn't wait like, no, nah, I mean, he didn't cry. Oh, man, I'm a victim. My circumstances suck. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to conquer these things. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me. In Acts 28, 20, Paul says he was bound with this chain. In Ephesians 6, 20, he calls himself an ambassador in bonds. The word for bond, bond used uh, in these two verses uh, describes a small length of chain about an inch. And it was chained from the wrist to the waist. So before you think he had it made, understand this. Paul was chained. The only space between him and a soldier was one inch, the wrist and the waist. To prevent Paul's escape, not that he was going anywhere. Paul was bound to a Roman guard every minute of every day for over two years. Let me ask you this, what do you think Paul talked about? He wasn't like, man, the Steelers really need some help to get into the playoffs. And the Seahawks are going to choke and the Niners are going to win. Uh, he didn't talk about that. He's like, hey man, what's up dude? Let me tell you about Jesus. For 12 hours, he had to hear about Jesus. And then he was unchained, and he was chained to another guy. And Paul was like, hey, what's up, man? Let me tell you what I told the other guy. And so it went on and on and on and on. And guess what they went did? Well, you're sitting there listening to the gospel for 12 hours. You go home, and guess what you do? You spit out the gospel. Hey, honey, how was your day? Well, I was chained to this guy, Christian guy, and uh, he told me about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. You know what I mean? That's crazy, right? I think it's awesome. Paul spread the gospel through the whole Praetorian Guard, the elite of the Roman army. These soldiers were the Imperial Guard, like Star Wars. It's awesome, right? They were the Imperial Guard of Rome who had been handpicked. They were like the Honor Guard. Anybody in the military and the army know what the Honor Guard is? Handpicked soldiers to serve at the White House. They're all the same height and of the same build. When I was in basic training in the army, guess what? They were walking by, they were like, let me measure you. Ah, no, you're not good. We'll talk about feeling like a reject. 
They were handpicked. Why? To guard the president, guard the White House. It's more for ceremony nowadays, but uh, same thing here. Uh, these were handpicked uh, by, uh, to protect the emperor and to carry out the major armed uh, functions of the state. Uh, there were 16,000 of them, actually, in Paul's time, uh, most of who were stationed in Rome. Um, if it, was, it, was these soldiers, they, there was, it was these soldiers who guarded Paul, uh, chained to his wrist uh, day and night for two years, young men, the elite of Roman youth. How many Paul led to the Lord is unknown. But note, Christ was shared so much that it spread throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. So they all heard about Jesus. Maybe not personally by Paul, but maybe they were on break and they're like, man, I'm so glad I'm not chained to that fool anymore. But maybe what he said is true, man. Maybe we need, we need God's forgiveness. Because I'm, you know, we, my conscience violates me. Maybe we should listen to this guy. Oh, snap. I'm going to go home and tell my wife and kids, right? But it didn't stop there. The palace of the emperor and all other places. The NIV says, and to everyone else. That's pretty amazing. And it should, it should change the way we view our circumstances too. Because we shouldn't view our circumstances as spankings from God. But we should start looking at maybe our hardships and our sufferings come because uh, God has cleared the path for us to share the gospel. Because the reality is we're on the mountaintop. We don't share the gospel. We're too busy enjoying life. And, and Paul is saying, you know what? This is a providential arrangement by the sovereign God that I'm in chains. Why? So that everyone will hear the gospel. Paul's imprisonment to stand for Christ and the gospel uh, became the conversation throughout all Rome. The conversation among all the social circles. I can see him at parties now. You're about that, that Jewish guy preaching Jesus. Everybody else has heard about it. The upper strata, the very palace of the emperor himself, everybody heard about the gospel. And they're saying that, Paul, that, that the favor of God isn't upon Paul. You know what I'm saying? I think, it I think God might have set something up. You know what I mean? I think that was his purpose. You see, we should never let our circumstances or fear of what might happen keep our tongues chained inside our mouth. We must never let circumstances get us down, never let them defeat our testimony and our witness for Christ, no matter what they are. If we're living for Christ, we must know that he's in control of our lives. He will strengthen us to bear whatever circumstances, whatever troubles, whatever hardships we may face. We should be able to trust God knowing that he's going to bear up with us. He's going to bear us up. And if we've sinned and failed, no matter how terribly, because as believers, we fall short. We're sinners by nature. And we still fall. We must repent and get back to the task of advancing the gospel, overcoming the circumstances of having failed and sinned so much. You know why we, you know why we share the gospel so much while we're, when, when we first get saved? It's because we understand how much we've forgiven. But the problem is, is that we, mat we mature in our faith and become tactful in how we share. And guess what that does? That's a chain for our tongues. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be tactful in sharing the gospel. But what I'm saying is, is that the same fire that burned when we were regenerated to share the gospel with our lost family and friends should continue. It, should, it shouldn't get smaller. It should grow. Hebrews 12, 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. He doesn't get put out. He consumes us. 
We must do all that we can to conquer the circumstances for Christ and continue to advance, sharing all the good we can in order to reach all we can. All must be done for Christ because he is worthy. He's died for us, bearing our sin and our punishment and freeing us to live perfectly before God in all eternity. The world does not know this, though. The world does not know that the cure for the cancer of sin is now available in Jesus Christ. And they cannot know unless we tell them. In Romans, it says, Paul says, Blessed are, uh, how beautiful the feet are those who bring good news. Young people, that's, that means more beautiful than a fresh pair of J's on your feet. You feel me? You know how they look? You're like, man, they look good. You know what, when you share the gospel, I don't care, there ain't a set of retro J's in the world that looks that good. That's truth. I hope you get it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And they cannot know unless we bring it, unless we tell them. And Paul spread the gospel. And in doing so, he encouraged others. He encouraged other believers to be more fear fearless in witnessing. His dynamic witness and the converts among the imperial guard were, were being noised all about over the city. Of course, the new converts among the soldiers were beginning to share Christ as well, so it began to spread, right? His fellow ministers who visited him, Timothy and others, were sharing the news about Paul and witnessing to themselves. He was like, Timothy, I can already see Timothy. Hey, man, look at all these brothers we have now. There's so many of them. What have you been doing, Paul? You see me changing this brother right here? This is the third time. He got saved on the second time, on the second shift, and now I'm discipling him. And Timothy's like, dude, that's what's up. If you can do that to Romans, man, I'm going back to the Jews. I'm going to get this thing done. Let me just say this, too. Nobody knew the suffering for the sake of the gospel more than Timothy. He was circumcised so he wouldn't be a, a stumbling block as a grown man. Circumcised. That's suffering, right, men? <laughs> Brother gets it right there. He's like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Paul was allowed visitors while in prison, and many of the believers throughout Rome visited him, and he shared Christ with them, and they boldly shared Christ. You see, you see how it works? When people see you suffering, they see you like, man, how can they, can they just share Christ, and people are getting saved, and lives are being changed. changed. Uh, you know what? Uh, maybe... Maybe in my suffering, I could, I could do the same thing. I'm going to go share the gospel right now. If he can do it under those circumstances, I can do it. And if, if Paul can do it in jail, guess what? We can do it because none of us in here walked in here with chains. The only chains that we have when we walked into this building are the chains on our tongues. Paul's dynamic witness made a strong impact on all those around him. See, the gospel has a ripple effect. Are others emboldened because of the gospel in your life, because of how you share the gospel and how you treasure and value Christ? His strong witness, despite his uh, terrible circumstances, it stirred many believers. And I hope, I hope this morning you see that. I hope God has illuminated truth to you and you can see that. And maybe the stirring's going on in you. It's like, man, and, and you know who it is. And you're just like, man, maybe you go to lunch here and you know what? Uh, you share the gospel with your waitress or your waiter. And don't leave a lousy tip, because apparently they don't like that. They became more confident. And many of the believers began to witness wherever they were, no matter their circumstances. 
They weren't afraid of persecution. When they received this letter and they read it, they said, man, if Paul can do it, we can do it. And the same thing for us. You know, if Paul can do it, we can do it. We must advance the gospel. We must advance the good news. Share it regardless of our circumstances. We must always remember we're, we conquer our circumstances. We conquer circumstances for Jesus Christ. We're not a victim of circumstances. We are the conquerors of circumstances, all for Jesus Christ. We are to not allow our sufferings to discourage others. We are to use them to encourage others. We must witness all around us when we lie in the bed of sickness. Our attitude should be advance the gospel in the midst of death. Advance the gospel. Facing financial loss, advance the gospel. Abused and persecuted, be anxious about nothing. Advance the gospel. Faced with divorce and loneliness, advance the gospel. With failure, advance the gospel. Grieving the loss of a loved one, advance the gospel. Rejection, loneliness, neglect, and abuse, advance the gospel. Facing poverty, advance the gospel. Make the gospel the highest priority today and determine that no matter what you face, you will turn your circumstances into a pulpit and advance the gospel and in doing so, impact others. But Christ must be number one. You can't share Christ if you don't know him. You have nothing to share. I pray that God becomes our treasure this morning. That Jesus Christ, like the Magi we just celebrated, they brought their gifts, and it says, the scripture says they opened their treasures in Matthew chapter 2. Why do you think they were doing that? To assist God? Does God need assistance? Were they trying to bribe him and, 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 and uh, pay for their salvation? No. It was an exchange. These are the things that we find joy in. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are the things in which we find most joy, but we're bringing them to Christ. Why? Because you are the treasure now. I don't need these things. I have you. And I have you, and I'm going to take it back to wherever I'm from, wherever they were from, and I'm going to share it. I'm not going to let circumstances get in the way. And I pray that others are, are more bold because of it. Like I said, nobody walked into this building with physical chains this morning. Only the chains of our tongues. And many of us have had our tongues chains for too many years. Would this morning be the, the morning that you decided, I'm no longer going to keep my tongue in chains. This morning the time. I will purpose in my heart to share the gospel no matter what, whether I'm liked or rejected. Let me say this. The disappointing look on the Savior's face will far outweigh any joy we receive in acceptance by keeping our mouth shut. I promise you that. You will be disappointed when you see the look on his face. Being liked and being accepted by this world, we're not, we're not from this world. In the year 1955, during the, uh, everything going on with the civil rights mu uh, movement and uh, Rosa Parks was arrested for, because she didn't, she was like, I ain't getting in the back of the bus. Um, Martin Luther King Junior, um, in his zeal and ambition, um, got himself arrested 
for uh, demanding, you know, uh, everybody be treated the same. And they locked him up, and it, it, it caused quite a stir. And he was a godly man. Um, and all of a sudden, he started getting these letters while he was in jail about uh, from, from uh, you know, the Protestants and, and the Catholics and all these, all these Christians, uh, Christian organizations started sending letters to him. They're like, Martin, you got to stop. You got, you got to quit. You're causing too much trouble for us. We're, we're, getting, we're getting persecuted, and now's not the time. You should just, just stop. Forget about it. Now's not the time. Um, so he wrote a letter back to them. It was a really short letter. And he said, over 150 years ago, the Emancipation Proclamation was a check written for all colored people. And it hasn't been cashed. And in your letters, you're telling me I can't cash it. There's a park being built for all kids except my kids because we're the wrong color. And you're telling me that, I, that this is not right, that I should be quiet? And this is what he said. If not now, then when? And if not, if not us, then who? And upon that, the civil rights movement gained momentum, and it won. But you know what? There's a different movement going on. This, it, it's, a, it's a revival. And we need revival more than ever. That's what's at stake. We need revival amongst our young people and our more experienced people. I don't want to call you old. <laughs> we need revival too. And the same thing that Martin Luther King Jr. said, it still applies... We can say that if not now, then when? Will we wait? How much longer must we wait? And if not us, then who? Who will advance the gospel if not us? And when will we advance it? I'll close with this. Um, in, 2000, in 2005, um, I, had, I had surrendered to gospel ministry. I kind of partly surrendered. God was calling me to preach and I didn't want to go because I was a 24-year-old kid and I was making really good money um, in a machine shop. And I was, I, was, I was supervising and I was like, man, I don't want to give all this up, man. They're telling me I got to quit to go to Bible college. I don't want to do that. I'm balling. Shoot. I can pay my bills. And uh, I fought with God on this. And then uh, I, I went and I, sh I, showed up to, uh, I showed up to work on Monday morning after talking with the pastor that Sunday and kind of wrestling with God. And, and guess what? There was chains on the door. <laughs> The guy lost all his money. He went out of business. And what's worse is I got paid on Friday, and that check bounced. It doesn't stop there, though. My electricity got cut off. And I was driving home from Obama's house, and guess what? I ran out of gas. It, was, it wasn't funny. You're laughing at my pain. But I, I, remember, I remember getting out of the car, look at my wife, and I say, Call my mom, tell her to come get us, give us gas or whatever, and don't do what I'm about to do. I'm about to go talk to God. I'm about to, I'm angry. And so I slam the door, and I go off to this wheat field. Um, it's there, and I'm, I'm yelling at God. I'm like so angry. I'm like, man, I surrendered. I gave my life to Christ. You're supposed to be blessing me. I'm supposed to prosper. I'm supposed to be rich. I'm supposed to have the house of my dreams, Right? I don't know if I read it somewhere 
or if I heard a preaching sermon, I don't know where it came from, but I, I remember hearing in my heart, God saying to me, Gabe, why would, I give you more, why would I give you more than I gave my son? He didn't even have a pillow. I take care of the foxes better than I took care of him. He became poor so that through his poverty we could become rich. And it changed the way I saw things. And as soon as I got my electricity on and internet, I signed up for Bible college, man. <laughs> Use your circumstances as a pulpit. Advance the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, I thank you that you've changed my heart. I thank you that I no longer look after myself and my own ambitions. I love you. And I pray that you help me and help us every day to continue to understand the riches we have in Christ Jesus. I pray that our young people would see you as, as not something just for salvation, not a get-out-of-hell-free card, but as, a, as the most beautiful thing they've ever laid their eyes on, and to value you and to follow you, to maybe even die as martyrs in a foreign mission field because they need the gospel. God, will we leave here changed? Let us not walk out these doors with the chains on our tongues, but walk out of here emboldened, encouraged by the Apostle Paul, and hazard our lives upon, the, uh, upon Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, for the sake of his mission, and to win the loss. Never mind us, Lord. What about the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen.